This, this ought to be on the front page, not the election. <laughs> Did you read about that? We used to think there were 100 billion galaxies. And now they say there are a trillion galaxies. More universe for God to fill with his glory. And even if the universe were a million times bigger than it is, it could not contain our powerful and sovereign God. Amen. And we can know him. We can know this God as a kid knows his dad. Because Jesus Christ came to reconcile us to himself through the blood of Jesus and so I, I come here today, among other things, to proclaim, proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. You can know God and be saved by his blood, by, by the blood of Jesus, and become his child and have all your sins forgiven. And know this God who created a trillion galaxies. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Pastor Miller, for letting me be here today and all of you. Thank you for your investment, wise, shrewd investment in the farmers' lives. I, I'm, they are going to impact not just the Laotians on our side of the border in Cambodia. That's, that's kind of their target, right? But their influence is going to be so much bigger than that. And you will not only, through them, plant churches among Laotians, but you're also going to, through them, produce theological materials accessible, aimed at just the right level for Southeast Asian pastors, <laughs> materials that are going to glorify God and strengthen the church. And those materials are not just going to be used in Cambodia. They're going to be used all over Southeast Asia. You are wise, wisely investing your money. And what a reward you're going to get. What an amazing reward. Isn't it a privilege to be a part of what, what God is, is doing and going to do in the farmer's lives? So I, I thank you. I thank you for your prayer support, your financial support, your kindness to them. Um, and so let's begin talking uh, about... God's glory in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Twice in the Bible, twice in the Bible, Paul takes the messiness of getting along in church with people who are different from you, who might have different conscience standards, or, or they're just different, okay? Uh, you, you have messy church here? Is this a messy church? Yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> oh, that's just, that's fantastic. It's fantastic because I'm going to show you today that twice in the Bible, God connects the messiness, the mundane messiness of getting along in church with people that maybe you wouldn't have chosen to be your friend because you didn't choose who's going to be in this church, right? Paul connects that with success in missions or with the great missionary task that we have. 
And my point today is going to be that that you can, even before you go out to be a missionary, you can practice missions right here because the church and all that messiness in the church is God's cross-cultural laboratory to get you ready for the big leagues. See, missions, crossing oceans to other cultures. And let me tell you something. If you can't cross these little cultures here, don't go. Don't go. Just stay right here. Don't export your inability to cross cultures. But my point is a positive point. Practice, practice, practice. Okay, the first place that Paul connects those two things is 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 9, and 10 in the, in the famous passage on on uh, disputable matters. You know, some people think they can eat meat. Others think they can't eat meat. And right in the middle of that messiness, we have this, this, this amazing verse, uh, the passage. Let's, let's read it together. In, um, now I'm asking you to turn to 1 Corinthians. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 20. Um, and I want you to count out loud or in your heart... <laughs> How many times Paul refers to the gospel in this amazing passage, chapter 9, beginning in verse 19. He says this right in the middle of a passage talking about getting along in church. He says, for though I am free from all, that means he's done the hard work of of streamlining his conscience, getting rid of all those 600 pharisaical rules that shouldn't have been there anyway. See, adding rules that should have been there and weren't there, like loving your enemy. Didn't seem like he had that one, did he? (laughs) Before he got saved, see, he did this messy, he did the difficult task of streamlining his conscience and his moral, um, uh, his, his moral beliefs uh, so that he could say this, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. There's one number uh, verse 20 to the Jews. I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. That's two. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law. Here it is, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Here it is again, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, that is the people who have vacillating consciences, that's hard to say. Have a vacillating conscience um, or, or perhaps an overburdened conscience. He says, that's OK. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. There it is again. I have become all things to all people. He's talking about cultural flexibility, not moral flexibility. You don't flex on matters of right and wrong. Cultural flexibility. I've become all things to all men. That by all means I might, here it is again, save some. But he's not over. It's, it's not over yet. I do it all for the what? For the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessing. Six times he mentions his cultural flexibility for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of winning people to Christ. But that's not, this is not the only place. An even clearer link is in Romans chapter 14 and 15. And uh, so please turn back there again. Uh, chapter 14, as we saw this morning, is, is about all 
is about how to handle all the mundane, messy church disagreements that come up because church members have differing conscience standards. One person says it's okay to do this. Another person says no. One person says this kind of music's okay. The other person says, I'm sorry, I can't listen to that. See, what's Romans 15? Romans 15 is the most important missions passage in Romans. And Romans may be the most important uh, single document or book, uh, arguably, in, in, in the Bible. Romans 15 is the soaring description of the glorious worldwide mission of the church. And guess who is the missionary par excellence? The example missionary in Romans 15 is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who became a servant to a people and culture not his own. That's Romans 15. Romans 14, how to get along. Right here in this church. What could those two things possibly have in common? You want to find out? Let's look at the text and let it come right out of the text and you'll see. But first, before we get to Romans 15, real quick, we're going to go through uh, 12 principles. Andy Nacelli went, went uh, through this for you, uh, with you uh, a few years ago in a, in a, in a Bible um, in institute kind of thing you had here. Uh, but let's begin with, the, with uh, chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. As for the one who is weak in faith, now it doesn't mean he's a weak Christian, means his conscience won't let him do something like eat meat, uh, Welcome, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions, don't quarrel over disputable matters. See, one person believes, see, this is the same word faith, by the way. So now he's going to tell us what kind of faith he's talking about. He's not talking about saving faith. He's talking about the, the, the strength, the faith that your conscience has to say yes to something. Say, I can do that. So he says, one person believes, has the faith that he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. So the first way to practice missions while you're still at home is to welcome people in your church with differing conscience scruples. The second way is this. Those who are strong in conscience have uh, must not look down. That's the word what the word despise means in, 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 in this context. Must not look down. Roll your eyes at. Oh, brother. See. At those who don't have freedom. Now, in this context, that we were mostly Gentile Christians, you didn't have, didn't come from that real scrupulous Jewish background, right? And they don't have, they don't, they can eat any kind of meat, right? Uh, but don't, they're not supposed to look down on these who have a lot of scruples. And that's what verse three says. Please read it. Let's let not the one who eats despise, treat with contempt, the one who abstains. Isn't that always the temptation? To say, oh, brother, these people don't understand the freedom we have in Christ. I wish, you know, they're just not mature like we are. And they're legalistic. And all they think about is rules. Neurotic fundamentalists. Paul condemns that attitude of superiority. He forbids it. You cannot, you must not have that, that, that attitude toward anybody in this church. And when you obey number two, principle number two, and you're getting ready for missions, not just missions around the world. You're getting ready for this church to become more and more and more a colorful church. That's what you want, right? And by the way, you're not ever going to have a colorful church until you have colorful dinner tables. Because it's, it's, Scripture is very clear on this. It's when you eat together cross-culturally. And you have people into your homes that then your church becomes a cross-cultural church. An intercultural church. And that's what you want. That's our goal. 
Uh, Number three, those with a weak conscience. uh, That means their conscience restricts them. And this in this case would be mostly Jews must not be judgmental toward those who have freedom. Do you see the difference? Uh, One group is looks down uh, on the strict. The strict people, though, have a tendency to do what? Judge. How can they call themselves Christians and do that? Verse, uh, the second half of verse 3, let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed them. See, God has welcomed them. And, and notice the two reasons he gives why we have to welcome them. Number one, God has welcomed them. See, do we have the right to reject somebody that, that, that God has welcomed? Uh, God himself allows people to have differences of opinion on the edges of their conscience. Obviously, everybody in this room has a conscience that, that probably overlaps, is exactly the same, maybe 90%. I don't know. Who knows? But, but it's on the edges that we have the problems, right? Uh, and, and God allows that. <laughs> he really does. He doesn't say we all have to be exactly the same. Uh, if He did, we, we wouldn't have uh, verse... Uh, and if we did all have exactly the same conscience, we wouldn't have Romans chapter 14 or 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10. See? So... You can practice. Oh, the second reason you must not judge is that you're not the master of other believers. Uh, Look at verse four. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It's before his own master. He stands or falls and he will stand. He will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. See, that person's conscience doesn't belong to you. That person's conscience belongs to the Lord of conscience, who is God himself. So the fourth way now that we can practice missions without even going anywhere is that each believer must be fully convinced of his position in his own conscience. Look at verse 5. One person esteems one day as better than another. So now he brings up another point of controversy in the Roman churches and probably all the churches back then that were mixed uh, Jew-Gentile churches. So uh, uh, one person esteems one day as better than another. So there were certain holy days. Uh, uh, while another esteems all, all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Now, this doesn't mean that your conscience is always right and never needs calibration. Uh, I'm sure Andy talked to you about that, uh, Andy Nacelli, about uh, calibration, how to calibrate your conscience without sinning against it. Um, or or you, can, you can get a copy of the book that we wrote called Conscience. Um, but it does mean that you can't be a healthy Christian and be wavering back and forth and sinning against your conscience, sometimes obeying it, sometimes sinning against it. You need to just, as John Piper says, get a conviction. All right? Don't be wavering back and forth. You just have to decide your present position on whatever is the issues in your church here, whatever are the issues, and then live consistently by that decision. Gracious to others who have different conviction. Live consistently by that until God leads you to calibrate or adjust your conscience. Don't waver like a blade of grass in the wind. Real quick, though, what's the difference between sinning against your conscience and calibrating it or adjusting it? How do you know the difference? Since in both of those situations, you're telling your conscience to be quiet. So this is a, this is a, this is a good question, right? How do you know the difference? Because you don't want to sin against your conscience. We're going to see that that's one of the most important, that's the second most important principle of conscience. Don't sin against it. Well, here it is. You're sinning against, you sin against your conscience when you believe your conscience is warning you correctly. But you still don't listen to it. And that's always a sin. Even if that thing really isn't a sin in God's eyes, 
If you think it is, you think your conscience is right, uh, correctly warning you about it, but you do it anyway, 100%, it's a sin. Pastor Mark Dever said it this way, conscience can't make a wrong thing right, but it can make a right thing wrong. And I'm just amazed at the wisdom that God gave the Apostle Paul in understanding conscience. It doesn't surprise you because God is the one who invented conscience. And God is guiding Paul to solve these problems with such wisdom. Aren't you amazed, Pastor? There are cliffs on both sides. I love the Bible, don't you? Just amazing. So wise. It's like it was written by someone who really knew how our insides work, you know? <laughs> oh. Okay, that's sinning against your conscience. Well, what about what's this calibration? And we can't go into it very in, in any detail, but you're calibrating your conscience when Christ, the Lord of your conscience, teaches you through His Word, through wise counsel from your leaders, your parents, whatever, that your conscience has been warning you wrongly in a particular area, so you decide to stop listening to it. This is called calibration or adjusting or training your conscience or maybe weeding your conscience. Sometimes you have to ask the question, what, what needs to go? Paul said that. Remember he got saved, had hundreds of, two, his, his, his overpacked conscience was a mess. Or to change the metaphors, a tangled jungle, you can even walk in it. See, So you've got to ask three questions. What stays, what goes, what's missing? Lord, you ask the Lord. You take your conscience. Have you ever done this? Or, or are we neglecting this gift from God? Never even thinking about it. But you take your conscience and you see your moral standards. You say, God, you're, you're the Lord of my conscience. I'm not. That's idolatry. See, you're the Lord of my conscience. Please tell me what stays, what goes, what's missing. You're calibrating your conscience when Christ the Lord teaches you through His Word that your conscience has been warning you wrongly in a particular area, so you decide to stop listening to its warnings. That's not sin. That's not sin. Okay, the fifth way to practice missions uh, here at Eden is that we must assume that others are partaking or abstaining for the glory of God. This is missing in almost every church. Notice how generous Paul is to both sides. Verse 6, the one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. See, and so he, and he goes on to say, everything we do, we have to do for the Lord. Now, would it be amazing to be a part of a church where everybody in this church put the, put the best spin on, 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 on the standards of, uh, of other people, instead of putting the worst possible spin on everything, see? That we were so generous like this. We go, no, yeah, yeah, he's strict, but he's strict for the glory of God. Praise God. See, or yeah, yeah, I, I don't, I don't have the freedom to, to, to do that. But uh, he, he thanks God. See, he's praising God, and it's one, it's not an area that's very clearly right and wrong in the Bible. See, uh, and so when you are generous that way, you are getting ready to do cross cultural work, putting the best spin on the standards of others. The sixth way to practice missions at Eden Baptist is to think about the judgment day. Look at verse uh, 6. 
Let me verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or you? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. See, if you and I thought more about our own situation before the throne of God on that great and terrifying day, we would be less likely to pass judgment on others and meddle in other people's affairs and try to get other people to follow our own conscience. See, we don't need to be spending our short lives meddling in the choices of others in these areas of that, that we're allowed to be to dispute about allowed to that doesn't mean you can never talk about it uh just means you don't meddle uh in these areas and then number seven uh sorry it's not fitting on there your freedom to eat meat is theologically correct but don't let your freedom destroy the faith of a weak brother and we come to the what we call the the stumbling block principle. And the word stumbling block is very strong. This, this is not saying, you know, if what you do irritates somebody else in your church. <laughs> no, or if what you do just bothers somebody in church. Well, if, if, if somebody is irritated or just bugged by some freedom that you have, that's really their problem. I don't, I don't mean to sound uh, cruel, but it's really their problem. But if your freedom to do something emboldens a wavering, especially younger Christians. It's probably not going to happen to somebody who's been saved 20, 25 years. You know what I mean? But, but especially younger Christians, we have to be very sensitive. If your freedom emboldens them to sin against their conscience, because there's somebody who's, you know, today, oh, that's wrong, or tomorrow, oh, maybe it's okay. See, that kind of person. Uh, you must not do that. See, because... Because to sin against conscience, to, 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 to go against conscience when you think it's correctly warning you is always a sin, and you must not uh, sin against your conscience. Look at verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Uh, I know and am persuaded in the Lord that nothing is unclean in itself. So Paul put, places himself very squarely in the strong uh, strong uh, a conscience category as far as these issues in Romans 14 uh, go. Uh, but he says, and here he shows his understanding of conscience. It's unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. Very clear. See, For if your brother is grieved, a very strong word there, it's not just bugged or, you know, offended in our modern way. Uh, if he's grieved by what you eat, and you're, lo- you're no longer walking in love. Sometimes you can so flaunt your freedom that, that another brother or sister is deeply, deeply grieved and their, their walk with God is, is uh, affected. Uh, so do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Verse 16, let's skip to verse 20. Do not for the sake of food, listen to this strong word, destroy the work of God. See, because when you encourage somebody to sin against their conscience, instead of uh, letting God do that work or helping him along in a very slow way. When you just kind of force you, impose your, your freedom on somebody else who's not really sure about it, uh, you're going to get him used to or her used to sinning against conscience. And you never want to do that. You're going down the road to destruction when you sin against your conscience consistently. Let's continue. Uh, so free and strict Christians in a church have responsibilities toward each other. And, uh, this, uh, but the second half of Romans 14, interestingly, puts most of the responsibility on those who say that they have a strong conscience in these areas of dispute here. It's fascinating. Because they have a choice, right? They could either eat meat or not eat meat. The other guys have, have no choice. 
Right? People with a weak conscience about meat have no choice. They, they got one choice. <laughs> See? Or, no, it's not a choice, is it? If, you only have, if there's only one thing you can do, it's not a choice. You have a choice. See, those who have a, say that they have a strong conscience. So it's a great privilege for you that you have double the choices of those who are weaker in conscience. And so you must use your gift wisely. All right, the eighth way to practice missions at Eden, Eden Baptist Church is to get good at keeping the big things big. Disagreements about eating and drinking and other disputed conscience issues are not important in the kingdom of God. Building each other up in, in righteousness, peace, and joy is, uh, are the import, uh, is the important thing. Um, verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. See? Um, so know how to do theological triage. You know what triage is in the hospital. Uh, ever been to the emergency room and five people who came after you go in before you? It's because they've done some triage and they, they think that, that your paper cut is not quite as important as the, uh, as the broken leg, see? Uh, so do theological triage. We fundamentalists and, and conservative evangelicals, we have this tendency to, to, to believe that if something is important, if things are important, then, then all those things are equally important, see? Uh, and, and, but we have to have wisdom and do some theological triage. Not every issue is, is that important, right? We have uh, primary issues, secondary issues. And with, in this sermon, we're mainly talking about uh, tertiary issues, third-level issues that are certainly not critical in, in the kingdom of God. And so food and drink is not important in the kingdom of God, uh, which means that divisions over these kinds of things uh, are wrong. Um, now, the Lord Jesus himself proclaimed all foods clean, right? And so uh, that's why Paul just said we know that, that all foods are clean. Uh, and, uh, and so um, there are other things to say about this, but we're going to go to the ninth way that you can practice missions at Eden, Eden Baptist Church. Um, hmm, there we go. Uh, if you have freedom, don't flaunt it. If you are strict, don't expect others to be strict like you. I like to call it this, M-Y-O-C. What would that mean? Mind your own conscience, okay? So uh, if, uh, here's the way the Lord said it. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. By the way, this is proof that faith in Romans 14 isn't talking about saving faith because you're not supposed to keep your saving faith in Christ just between yourself and the Lord. You're supposed to proclaim it. But this is talking about whether or not you have the, the confidence, the fide, the confidence in your conscience to do something. Say, uh, keep between yourself and God. Don't, uh, if you have freedom in Christ, don't flaunt it or show it off in a way that may cause others to sin. And be especially careful to nurture the faith of young people and new Christians. See? And those of you with a weak conscience, don't police others by pressuring them to be strict like you in these matters. See? Uh, so there's a tendency to flaunt things, you know. Uh, if you uh, had a strict upbringing and now you have certain freedoms and uh, post things on Facebook and all, that's just immaturity. Uh, so 
keep these, uh, be, be wise in, in these matters. Number 10, uh, um, a person who lives according to his conscience is blessed. We all want to be blessed, don't we? We all want to be blessed. And this is the second most important principle of conscience. Obey it. Do what it says. If you want to be blessed in your life, do what your conscience tells you. See, You cannot be blessed if you consistently live a life in which you are going against your conscience. You can't be blessed. And so you're blessed. You, you, we all want joy. We all want happiness. Uh, and, uh, and, and God gave us conscience to add to our happiness and to our joy, not to take, a, take away from our happiness and joy. Uh, and also to help us get along with other people. So, if you get into the habit of not listening to your conscience, you need to watch out. You know that four conservative Baptist missionaries in Cambodia uh, a couple of years ago had to come back. Well, one of them couldn't come back because he's in jail. Because all four of them uh, committed the crime of pedophilia or pederasty. And, uh, and do you think when they went out to Cambodia, they, they, they were thinking, oh yeah, that's a good, easy place to you know, to commit this sin or something like that. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think they went out hoping that they were going to win people to Christ and, and make God famous. But at some point along the line, they stopped listening to what? Listening to their conscience. And they, they shipwrecked their lives. They destroyed the lives of, of, of kids there. Uh, this is serious stuff. Serious stuff. And in a group this size, I know there are some of you who, are, who aren't listening to your conscience. You're not going to be blessed. You're not going to be happy as long as you continue to go down that road. And the end of that road is, is horrendous. In fact, it's hell. It's hell. Because it shows that you're not a blood-bought child of God. The 11th and 12th ways to practice missions at Eden Baptist Church, found right here, uh, number 11, we uh, must follow... Uh, the example of Christ who put others first. And now we're getting to the main point of our message here. We who are strong have an obligation. This is 15.1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For, remember I told you there was a link? There was a link between the mundane messiness of chapter 14 and glorious missions of chapter 15. For, here's one of the links, Christ did not please Himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on Me. See? For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. I love this verse. You know why? Because it, 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 shows, it reminds us that getting along with other people in church requires endurance and encouragement and hope. It's not easy to do. It's really, really hard. But it's glorious. It's glorious when a church can come to this point of maturity where they obey Romans 14 and the beginning of Romans 15 here. And then number 12, uh, verse 5 says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accordance with Jesus Christ that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that the kind of church you want to be? 
Praise God. Isn't that the kind of person you want to be? Just so gracious, so expansive in your love toward other people. And number 12, really bookends the very first one. Remember the very first principle? Welcome those who are, are, are weaker in their conscience issues. Uh, this book ends it. We, we bring glory to God when we welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. Verse 7, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now, these last verses bring us to the most obvious link, that unbreakable link that connects the ordinary, mundane getting along in church, chapter 14, with the extraordinary promise of world missions in chapter 15. And here's the link. Ready? We already saw one of them, but we'll, make, we'll see it again. Maybe we can... Uh, ah, here we go. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Who's, who's he talking about? What, what's he talking about here? These issues that we're talking about, right? Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. And now he's going to make this connection that I never would have made. But he makes it. For, and there's that word. I hope you have a Bible that has the word for there. Because uh, some... Translations take out connecting words like that. and You miss out on a great truth. For I tell you that Christ became a servant. He became a servant to the circumcision. He became a servant to the circumcised. You see the connection. Verse 7 says, learn to love each other, welcome, reach out toward those in your church who are different from you, disagree with you. Why? Verse 8, because that's what Jesus did for you at Eden Baptist. When he left heaven to be born as a Jew, to become a servant to the Jewish race and culture so that Jews could be saved. Now, notice he didn't say uh, Christ became a servant to Israel or a servant to the Jews. He used this kind of funny word to the circumcised. Why? I think it's because he, he, he wants to remind us of how... Uh, how, how scrupulous the Jewish people were. See, he didn't just become a servant to any race or language, but to an entire already made culture with its intact worldview, all the rules, all the traditions. See, circumcision being perhaps the most famous. He submitted himself to a culture that was famous all the world over for being unusually strict. Now, ponder this, please. This is the number, this is the main point of my sermon today. Ponder this. The Son of God, who was not a Jew, Sometimes we think God, God is a Jew. You, ever, you know what I'm saying? He wasn't a Jew. God's not a Jew. The Son of God, who was not a Jew, it says He became one, left His complete, absolute freedom in heaven, and He became a good little Jewish boy. A good, obedient little Jewish boy. And then a good, law-keeping Jewish man the whole time, the whole time, perfectly submitting to the very laws that he himself had given at Mount Sinai 1,500 years before, even laws that, that he knew were temporary because he designed them to be temporary. And the only laws, as I said earlier this morning, that he pushed back against were the laws that the, that the Pharisees and others had added or completely misunderstood. So Jesus, in his life, practiced what he was later preaching through Paul here and also in 1 Corinthians, he became a servant to a people who were very different from him. He submitted himself to a culture 
He welcomed Jewish culture. He wasn't, as I said this morning, some countercultural hippie who railed against everything traditional or some weird outsider or misanthrope, as you see in some movies about Jesus Christ. He went to synagogue every, every Saturday. He went to the temple in Jerusalem with his parents. He celebrated Passover as a grown-up, another feast in Jerusalem. He rested on the Sabbath. He became a servant to, to the Jews and their culture. And so God is making this amazing connection. He's saying, he's saying, you got cultures in this church. I mean, in the Roman church, they had the meat-eating culture, the non-meat-eating culture. Maybe Gentile, Jew, you know, all these differences. You have too. You've got old and young and younger, right? You've got these different, uh, huge differences in culture in that regard. You have racial differences, right? Uh, you have differences of opinion. You have different, uh, oh, big one different uh, opinions about uh, the election, right? Yeah. Uh, these are huge things. And God is saying that, that when you reach out in welcoming love, putting, uh, giving the benefit of the doubt to each other concerning their beliefs and opinions, see, and assuming that they have those beliefs and opinions for the glory of God, when you do that, you're being like Jesus Christ who, who left Heaven, to become a servant to other cultures, to, to, to a culture not his own. Now, here's the question. What happens when, that, when you do that? What happened when Jesus did that? What, what did the Son of God purpose to accomplish? Or maybe we could ask, what was the result when Jesus, for the glory of God, voluntarily became what he was not, a servant to the Jews and their culture? See, what happened? Well, we have the answer right here, but we're going to back up. In fact, it's right up here uh, on the screen. Uh, we'll back up to verse seven, get the whole picture. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. To show God's truthfulness. Jesus, when Jesus did that, he vindicated the truthfulness of God. And when you, when you. Love each other in this church with all the different opinions and cultures that you have here. And it's going to get even more interesting over the next 20 years. Let's just hope so, right? You want a really interesting, messy, uncomfortable church, don't you? Don't you? If you don't, you probably want to find another church where everybody's exactly like you, little cookie cutter things. And we have that. We can do that in America. Can't do that where I am. You're stuck because you got one church in your village. you got to learn to get along. But no, we don't have to do that. We can go find a church that everybody's exactly like us. But do you want that kind of church? Tell me. Do you want that kind of church where everybody's the same? No. I know you don't, Pastor. So, when we do that, we are, we are showing that God is truthful and the Gospel is truthful. See? Because there are all kinds of Old Testament things about Gentiles streaming into the kingdom of God. And you just couldn't even imagine that. The Jew, a Jewish person had a hard time imagining that in the Old Testament. See. Uh, God is truthful. So Christ's first purpose was God work. Oh, there's so much more we could say about this. Number two, Christ fulfilled all the promises of God made to the patriarchs. That's what it says. Number two, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. All those promises, 
all those promises. Of the, think about the three main promises to Abraham. Think about the promises to David. Think about the promise to Adam and Eve in the garden. Jesus became a servant to people who are very, very unlike Him in order to fulfill those promises. Isn't that amazing? See, And then number three, here we are, right? In order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy, we are living results of Jesus deciding to leave His comforts in heaven and serve people way, way different than He. See, Praise God. Christ's decision to serve and love people so different from Him. Just like He tells you to do in Romans 14. Now, Jesus was the first to practice it. He, he, was, he was the author. He was the author of this. And then it was Peter's turn. And you just study. Just look at Peter's life, the Acts 10 incident. And, uh, and then his kind of backsliding on the issue in Galatians chapter. Two and three. It's really fascinating. But he did it. You know, he, I'm so proud of Peter for nailing it in Acts chapter 10. It was amazing. And boy, he took a, he took a logical leap, didn't he? He knew that this vision of the sheets, and then five minutes later, Gentiles knocking on his door, bam, he made that connection. He made it. And he went. And you imagine how hard it was? Never in his life had he ever opened the door and said to a, a Gentile, come inside. Would you like some food? Oh, no! I mean, you can't, he, but he obeyed God. It was just beautiful. And then Paul, Paul says, imitate me in these matters because I have imitated Christ. And what happened when Peter and Paul, what happened when Peter obeyed these principles? You happened. Cornelius happened. You happened. The Gentile church happened, right? (laughs) See? What happened when Paul obeyed these truths? Even greater fruitfulness among the Gentiles and also the Jews. And what's going to happen when you obey Christ? Right here in this messy church, that you become a servant to the people in your own church who aren't like you, who have uh, maybe a different culture from you. They're older than you or younger or whatever. See, or people with different conscience scruples. And you want to judge them in, their, in your heart. You want to judge them because they're so strict. Or you want to roll your eyes because they're so legalistic. But instead, you love them. You, what's going to happen when you obey Christ and become a servant to people outside your church? Or on the other side of town? Or the other side of the world? I believe it's going to be that this same kind of fruitfulness that we see right here in this verse. I don't know exactly what it's going to be like for you personally, but you are going to have such fruitfulness in your life. Gospel fruitfulness. And fruitfulness always brings happiness to the praise and glory of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, God. We are astonished at our Lord Jesus Christ that He not only became a servant to the circumcision, to the Jews, He became a servant to all of us. He became obedient to death, even death on the cross. And so we can proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name because He died and He rose again. Oh God.
May we live our lives as if this is true. May we be as welcoming and receiving as Jesus Christ and loving as Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.